I want to welcome everybody to this evening's Mauer Report. I'm super excited. I've been talking to our guest here a little bit. But before, again, the views and opinions of the show are those of the host and guests and do not represent any sponsor, affiliate network, or anybody else. They're just views and opinions, and they're going to get interesting tonight, I'm sure. My guest tonight is making his return faster than I thought he was going to, but... Well, in recent events, his name popped to my mind yesterday, and I, I scrambled to get him, and I want to thank him for being available in short, such short notice. My guest tonight is Harry Dent of HarryDent.com and the author of The Great Depression Ahead, New York Times bestseller as well. How are you doing tonight, Harry? Great, Jim. Great. I, well, I, 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 I do hear, I mean, all things considered, right? I mean, this is kind of what you've been, I don't want to say hoping for, but... This is kind of poured gas on the fire that you were predicting. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, ever since, you know, the, the Great Recession, which was really on, on my depression track, even back then, I mean, even in the 80s when I first come up with my forecasting tools, I said, look, we're going to have the greatest boom in history, but it's going to end in a depression, just like the Roaring Twenties ended up in the 1930s. And that started to happen in 2008 and 9, but, and, you know, cause 2008, man, major bank and financial institutions failing, but also General Motors and AIG. It wasn't just banks. And that was just like 1930. And then the central banks stepped in and said, well, you know what? We're going to learn from the 30s. This time we're going to print so much money. It's not going to be possible. We're going to stay, but we're going to keep that depression from happening. Well, that's very unhealthy, Jim. My point of view is, you can be intelligent about deleveraging a debt bubble or a financial asset bubble, which we had both in the Roaring Twenties, and we had both coming into the Great Recession, and, and way more now. Um, but you you have to deal with it. It, it. If you just cover it over, the debt gets worse, the economy gets weaker, you got zombie banks and, and unproductive loans and unproductive people and unproductive industries. And you, you're like Japan. You just go in a coma economy for 30 years because you don't clean up your mess and restructure it and, and, and put the economy back on track. And that's what I used to do at Bain & Company, my first big job out of Harvard Business School. We used to turn around Fortune 100 companies that, that overexpanded or got in the wrong markets or missed a big trend and that sort of stuff. And, and, you know, if you don't do that, if you don't recalibrate and the economy doesn't readjust, and, and, and get rid of bad stuff, just like a common cold. Doctors think the cold is the enemy. I think the cold is what keeps you healthy. Cold just lets you get rid of bad stuff now and then so you stay healthy. And if you don't let that cold work and you suppress it with codeine and cough syrup and shit, then, then oh my gosh, next thing you know, you got pneumonia or you get really sick. And, and oh, the whole early 1900s, the, the the central bank. We didn't have a Federal Reserve before 1913. Well, they kept stopping recessions in their tracks and not letting them do their work and deleverage. And we kept building up a bigger, bigger bubble till we didn't have a recession. We had a depression in the 30s. So this is the depression we have to have. They, they, we should have had it. If we'd have had it in 2008-9, they'd have let it played out and, and the governments would have only rewarded banks and companies that wrote off debt instead of just, you know, pushing money in and, and creating a financial asset bubble and covering it all over, we would have been over this by, by late 2010, just like we were over the worst of the Great Depression. And we came screaming out of the Great Depression after 32. We came, you know, stumbling out of this, the, the worst recovery in history, because they didn't let the economy restructure the debt and we're still carrying all this bad stuff into the future and while the demographics get weaker and that's something i can predict and then it continues to get weak into 2023 before that turns up so so we really need this reset and, and the virus is perfect because you can't fight this with money printing and it's thrown us into a sudden down you know downgrade in in the economy and it's going to expose all these weaknesses. It's going to show why all this stimulus has not been able to get the economy grow because the demographics are so weak and the debt is so high that we're basically, you know, incapacitated. We 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 got to we got to clean up this mess. And I now it's going to happen. So most people hate this. Oh my God, this is terrible. I'm like, you know, finally we're gonna we're, we're gonna have to face this problem and deal with it. Like we, like Margaret Thatcher did in Great Britain in the, in the early '80s, you know, and and uh, you know, and 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 we're going to come out the other side finally. So I'm looking forward to it. But there's 
even better opportunities for investors and businesses. The people who see a downturn like this coming, a stock crash or a recession or a depression, if you hunker down and you get safe, oh my God, you, you preserve your wealth, you expand your market share while everybody else is struggling, and you come out of this the other side like, like a racehorse. So I, I, my first question is, this this number surprised me. Maybe it won't surprise you nearly as much as it surprised me. But in January, only 12% of American commerce was conducted online. Yeah, I mean, this, you know, it's been around a while, but, you know, people are creatures of habit. Another thing I like about this virus, I, I've been, I, I do, I do the best in Australia. It's a hungry market halfway around the world. There's not as many experts over there. I sell probably four or five times more books per capita. And that's only 27 million people. It's a twelfth of the U.S. population. But I sell probably half as many books. I get way more media coverage over there. I have a better uh, audience and list over there, uh, much higher quality audience. And, and, and so, you know, it just, it just pays to focus and be in the right place. And, and, and so... Um, this downturn allows um, you know me to help people see what's going to happen. People are going to be surprised by this. Everything there's nothing surprising about this. This bubble has built up in progressive stages. I told people last fall we're in the orgasmic, the final blow off phase when 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 this repo crisis came and the Federal Reserve decided they had to suddenly dump seven hundred billion dollars new quantitative easing and free money in the economy and the stock market went right up to that until this virus hit it and blew it and now and i always told people the first crash is going to be 40 percent or so in a matter of two months or something well that's what's just happened okay well then you get a rebound from that and everybody thinks it's over and that's a that's happening you're going to happen for several months and then the creepy crawlers will come out from all of this damage and show how weak the economy is and we'll go into a deeper downturn later this year for the two years after that all of this is exactly what happened in 1929 to 32 exactly what happened from 2000 to 2002 when the first tech bubble burst a first sharp crash a rebound oh it's okay and then boom the real downturn hits and and very similar to what happened in 1980 to 82 and by the way jim these are all on on important long-term cycles of my research 90-year super bubble cycle like 29 to 32 40-year generational bottom cycle, eight, like 80 to 82, and 40 to 1940 to 42, and a 20-year cycle, like the tech cycle that, that, that burst from between 2000 and 2002. So these are three big cycles coming together. What people have to understand first, Jim, this virus is just the trigger, and it's, it's the best trigger because it puts us into a sudden shock not a gradual, you know, the 2008 recession built slowly, then accelerated. This is going to hit like, poof, like there's going to be 15% unemployment right off the bat, you know, in the next month or two. And, and that's just going to cause shocks through the economy. And, and people are going to say, and they already realized, oh, this is going to be over soon. And I was the first to predict that, that this, I put this virus on an S curve and said by early April, it's going to be people going to realize that Italy's on its downside. And then right after that, New York. And after that, the United States and blah, blah, blah. And that's all happening. So the stock market's rallying. But nobody's thinking how much the weakness of the economy and the indebtedness of companies here and around the world are going to be exposed by this shock. And I'm telling you, there is no V-shaped recovery from this. The stock market's going to try a V-shaped recovery, and it's already in one. And it's going to fail because the economy is not going to be able to bounce back. And I know that better than anybody, Jim, because I'm sitting in Puerto Rico, and I moved here a year and a half before the worst hurricane in 100 years. It took this economy to zero for three months. I had to leave and flee to New York just to get Internet and TV or any form of civilization. And when I came back three months later, it was a very U-shaped recovery because so much damage had been done. So I... I know what to expect in this thing. And, and, again, huge opportunities for the people who change their business. But, you know, what you were saying in the beginning, only 12% of people doing business and buying stuff online. This is ridiculous. Now that everybody's quarantined, 
Oh, everybody's buying shit online and everybody's watching stuff on Netflix. And my people in Australia, for years I've said, why do you fly me over there and torture me with jet lag when I could do online webinars and, and, and beam me stuff video into hotel rooms? And they say, no, you got to be live. Well, I'm, I've done five webinars there now in the last two weeks, and I'm probably going to do more webinars than I've ever done presentations there. And guess what? They're more profitable than doing live. So it forces, something like this forces people to do something different because people just by habit do the old thing. And I'm the worst. On computers, I'm slow at adopting new things. But business practices, I'm light speed. And in economic research, I'm light speed. But on computers, I only do stuff when I have to. And, and man, I'm man. I'm Mr. Zoom now. I'm doing all types of Zoom stuff and Skype stuff. And I'm telling everybody I do business to do it. So, so that's... I think that's why God kind of throws, you know, thunderbolts and hurricanes and stuff and recessions. You know, these things wake us up. People innovate and are at their best in a challenge. 9-11 was one of the greatest challenges. And people in New York just came up to it, saved people, did the right thing. I mean, and, and all types of innovations come out of downturns. Very, very few big innovations come when the economy's sailing along at 2 to 3%. So I'm one of the weird people that likes disruption, likes downturns, likes challenge. And, and, and unlike the central banks, doesn't want an economy that grows 3% a year forever with 2% inflation and never has a recession. That's a dead economy that'll have no innovation in the future. So I, I guess... So I, I, I've got a bunch of questions, but we're going to go with this one. Like the next, even I was thinking 90, 60 days, that window, right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're still going to be, restaurants are going to be slow. I mean, there's all these professional sports leagues talking about not having fans, which is a night, that's a whole other question. That's a whole other statement on my part, but we'll just, we'll go with this broad one first. And all this, I mean, in Pennsylvania, God bless the Commonwealth, you can't even buy a car right now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, people have put off travel for the whole rest of the year. I mean, there's countries, Queensland and Australia, one of my big markets there, has banned anybody traveling into Queensland, even from the rest of Australia. Nevertheless, me coming, you know, a, a yank from, from America, for the rest of the year, Australia, right at the beginning, shut off until June June at the minimum, and, and they'll probably do that far. I mean, the, the second quarter is going to be a mini depression, uh, Jim. It's just that simple. It's going to be 15% give or take unemployment, way higher than we had in the early 80s or in the, in the Great Recession in 2008 and nine. And that's just the first whack. The next one will be 20-25% more like the, the depression. And this is like, we're, we haven't seen this in our lifetimes. Now, I... I my 90-year cycle alone, Jim, would tell people to expect this. But you know what? That's hard to sell. I've been warning people about this for years. And people like, Harry, oh, the government won't let this happen. Oh, we'd never have a 40% crash in two months. The Fed wouldn't let that happen. We just did. And they, and they pledged infinite money printing, but not fast enough. The stock market, Jim, just destroyed in five weeks about 20 um, – trillion dollars globally which is more than all the central banks printed together all this free money they printed over 11 years destroyed in five weeks that's what these central bankers are up against they're not going to win this battle we are going to deleverage these bubbles they're going to burst on their own they're going to destroy money there's going to be less money which means prices of assets go down consumer prices go down business profits go down big Big shakeout in businesses, big bank failures, and that's going to create a whole new efficient kick-ass economy out of the rubble. And that's what happened in the 30s, and we, and we did nothing but grow for decades and decades after that. And, and Japan hasn't grown now for 30 years because they haven't allowed their economy. They, did, they didn't restructure hardly any of their debt. Well, we didn't either, and we added more debt. So, so this is the depression we need to have not a recession now since we didn't handle it last time. It's going to have to be bigger this time. And it's going to be tough. But I'm telling you, boy, if you just like jo Joseph Kennedy was the poster boy for the Roaring Twenties. He got out at the top 
He was a multimillionaire bootlegger making high margins. He sold all his stocks and business stuff and then bought stuff back down 80 to 90% three years later, went from a multimillionaire to a billionaire political dynasty. General Motors, who had their ass kicked by Ford for most of the early car cycle, passed Ford in the downturn, never to be caught again, not only became the number one car company after that, became the number one company in the world because they hunkered down in that downturn and gained market share and got stronger while everybody else got weaker and a lot of their competitors fall away. So this shakeout separates the men from the boys, you know, the wheat from the shaft, whatever they call it. So if you see it coming and you're prepared you're going to be one of the ones that survive. This thing's not about, this virus is not about wiping out everything. This downturn's not. It's about uh, shifting market share and, and profits and money to the more efficient and the smarter people. And if we don't do this now and then, we all get kind of lazy and complacent. And my whole thing about cycles, Jim, is simple. Success creates failure. People are successful long enough, they get complacent, they think they're, they, they confuse brains with a bull market of success, and then they open up themselves for somebody to come and run by them. If you fail long enough, you will learn from those mistakes, you'll get so pissed off that you will turn around and succeed. And so success creates failure, and failure creates success. We've had success too long, too easy of markets, too easy of money. Too easy an economy. Everybody's lazy, over-indebted, not innovating, and we need to get our asses kicked and get back in gear, and, and that's what's going to happen in the next two to three years. Businesses that hunker down going to get stronger than ever. Investors to get out of this bubble and reinvest just two to three years from now. You're not going to have to wait long. I can have the market on just stuff, and your money will buy Five to five times more real estate made. You know, I mean, twice as much real estate for the buck, and maybe five or six times more stocks and companies for the buck. How can you get rich faster than doing that? Well, I was gonna say. So, gonna what, say. what industries are in the most trouble right now? Like, well, you know, um, the worst is movie theaters, down ninety eight percent, because you're really cramped in there and and stuff. Um, airlines are down ninety five percent. Uh, cruise ships down like 85 so big and hotels in that, that realm those are the worst travel is just locked out and again you think people are going to get on cruise ships i mean this thing starts to retreat and it's going to keep retreating by 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 june or july this thing's going to be pretty much over at least in the developed world where it started you know u.s and europe and east asia and stuff like that people are going to just jump right back on cruise ships and jump back on planes and start flying around the world and countries are going to be slow to let people back in i really i was supposed to do a big tour in may and, and, and we knew that was gone right off the bat. But they said, oh, we'll get you out in July. No, I don't think I'll get to Australia the rest of this year, frankly. And if I do, it'll be towards the end of the year. So these things come back really slowly. You know, then you get a lot of depart. I mean, clothing is down 55%. Uh, discount department stores, even more, 60%. Uh, luxury items that depart are down maybe 40 and then on and on. You know, cost- grocery stores are up. Um, online gaming is 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 the best, up eighty percent, and in certain online thing, and and home delivery of stuff is up fifty to sixty percent. So there's a few sectors up better than ever. Amazon's doing better than ever. Netflix is doing better than ever. But Apple ain't doing better than ever. I can't. I'm doing so many webinars now. I need a better webcam computer. I can't even get one. I can't, they won't. I can't get one for two months. I couldn't get flowers for my wife's birthday. We're cooped in our house. They won't even let them deliver flowers in this economy. So, so they, this is hitting a lot of businesses very hard, and 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 it's not hard to hard to figure out. The statistics are out. I'm going to put them in my next newsletter, uh, just so people can see. But you just think about, it. of course, the travel industries in any place where people gather close together: movie theaters, restaurants, you know, sports events. Stadiums, you know, I mean, uh, dead. And, and I tell you, it, people are never may never shake hands again for crying out loud, you know. So this changes a lot of things. Some things will come back slowly, a few things rapidly, and some things will not come back at all. There will be some businesses just ruined. And I tell you, I'm very, very happy because I, I I was starting to go to Australia 
for two weeks, twice a year, and just getting terrible jet lag. Uh, it would take me a, a week um, when I was over there, a zombie, and then a week and a half when I came back, twice as bad coming back. Uh, it was just like terrible. Now, I tell you, I'm webinar man. I, I'm going to be doing 90% online there, and maybe I'll go there once a year for maybe a week and a half. And so that's going to be better for me. You yeah. know? And better for them, too. They don't have to pay you to get there. So while we're the sports, they, they're this- already making more money. They thought they could, and they're already making more money. The first webinar, we made more money. In, in, in one webinar um, than we had in our last tour over a week and a half there at great expense. So, so yeah, they're learning real, learning real quick. Oh, online is better. So I, I've got a sports, que- well, a sports question here because we're kind of here. Uh, I seen today that uh, in what was a variety that A-Rod and a bunch of people are trying to get together and buy the Mets. Okay, yeah. that's great. 2.1, 2.2, whatever, billion dollars, right? And I'm reading the story. I'm like, oh, that's great. And then the last line of the story is, even though the Mets you lose fifty million dollars a year. I know. Wow. <laughs> now you're you're, and that, you're and much smarter than me at this. How, how is something losing fifty million dollars a year worth two point two billion? Right now, yeah, that's right. If, if he and J Lo buy the Mets at this point and pay a healthy price for it, now it's one thing if you're buying it for ten or twenty cents on the dollar at the bottom of a downturn. That is when you would buy. Even something, even something like the Mets. If you buy it that cheap, you you got a lot of extra money left over to hire the best talent, start stealing people from the Yankees or whatever, and more more promotion and stuff. But but to buy it at the beginning of a downturn and pay, yeah, I'm sure they're getting some discount. But 2.1 billion doesn't sound like a big discount to me for like you say a losing team who has to compete against the Yankees. Look. When I was a kid, I was in Washington, D.C. The Senators were my home team. Until the Yankees came into town, I'm like, screw the Senators. They got, they, back then they had Roger Maris and Mickey Mantle and Whitey Ford. When I was a kid, those were the big heroes. The New York Yankees are really hard to compete with because they can really afford the Derek Jeter um, and, and, and A-Rod type of talent that draws people. So I would not... I would not buy the Mets for two point one billion. That'd be stupid right now. Well, e- but even competing, but they're losing money. They're losing fifty million a year as they sit right now. Yeah, they lose. They lost money in last year, which was a good economy up until recently. Yeah, I, it's just. I mean, I hate to say it, buying big teams like that. It's a big ego thing. People keep billionaires keep buying Ferrari and Aston Martin and these companies. You know what? They lose money too. They're great cars. They charge a high price, but the R and D and stuff is very expensive because they sell so few cars. And and you know airlines are a big ego business. You know Virgin and I don't you know you know the big airlines. Airlines notoriously lose money most of the time. Very capital intensive. People can't afford to pay what it really costs, so they overcharge business people until they find some alternative, um, like Southwest, and then and then they undercharge the consumers, and then they're the first ones to leave in a downturn anyway. So it's a there's you know you got to be smart about business, and you off your business now if you can, or parts that you aren't don't dominate. And the parts you do dominate, you hunker down and get meaner and leaner than ever, knowing that you may even break even or lose money in the downturn, but you're going to watch your competitors fall and your market share is just going to blossom. It's going to cost you way less to gain market share in a downturn than it does with hard marketing and an upturn with a lot of competition. So the downturn, um, Jim, really is, people don't understand that. Downturns happen twice as fast as upturns. And they have double or more the opportunity, but you have to see it come, coming. If you're a business and don't see it coming and your sales suddenly fall and your expenses are too high and then you're too slow to react, you don't make it. You don't make it through to the other side to, you know, to have double the market share or, or to buy your competitors' assets out at 10 cents on the dollar or to, or to take over their warehouse from a, from a, a, a bankruptcy and not even have to put any money down and just pay half the loan and take it. I mean, there's so much opportunities in downturn, but you have to come into it healthy or, 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 or free up cash 
and resources beforehand because otherwise all your assets disappear in the downturn and like people people will look you know three years from now and say oh my god i can buy apple for 80 90 percent off but if you owned a stock like apple and you lost 80 90 percent you don't have the money to take advantage of that deal of a lifetime so i'm just trying to warn people they don't like to hear it but but this virus makes it easier now because you know i said you'll know this bubble's over when the first crash is 30, 40% or so in the first couple of months because it's hard to recover from that. 10, 20% corrections never stop a bubble. It takes that sort of shock. Doesn't matter what causes it. It was the subprime crisis. I, I, I go back to people and say, you realize how small that was to cause a glo- global, the worst global recession since the Great Depression? It was caused by a subprime crisis that only really happened in four states and only in the U.S., and only with 14% of consumer loans in the U.S. Come on. It was just a trigger to expose the weakness of an economy that was losing demographic strength and had the highest debt in history, which makes it hard to grow and keep growing, and it just exposed those weaknesses. So that's what this virus does. And, man, I'm telling you, you do the right things here. And in what you just said, the next 30 to 60 days is a critical time what industries get shocked? What are the reverberations? And, and I think the stock market's still underestimating that. Um, and, and, and people are going to think, because uh, stocks will recover fast enough because all this money swishing around and more added has to go somewhere. But then when they see the economy can't turn around and starts to falter again, oh, my God, stocks will crash again. And then, it, then the, there's no way the central banks will be able to print enough money to keep because they're real quick, I'll give you a number, Jim. Globally, $330 trillion of financial assets. That is bonds, stocks, you know, real estate, um, things like that, gold and all this stuff. Financial assets that are real wealth that people can cash in in the brokerage account and spend or borrow against their house, whatever. Half of that's going to disappear. Half of that's $160 trillion. That is two times global GDP. That number in the U.S. financial assets, $125 billion. Just in one country, the U.S., $60 trillion of that's going to disappear roughly. That is three times our GDP. Imagine three times the money that would be three times our entire annual GDP disappearing from our economy. That's going to cause a shock. That's what caused things to fall 50% in real estate, 90% in stocks, 90% in commodities, and consumer prices go down 10, 20%. Everything's on sale when that happens. So the, whoever preserves their money at the top in their business or in their investments and gets safe, you will preserve your money and even grow it. A high quality bond. When the stock crashes, actually the stock crash is a good lesson. Because uh, it because half of the crash happens in the first crash and it happens very quickly. Stocks went down the most. Um, junk bonds went down. Uh, even near junk bonds went down a lot. Um, gold went up at first and went down like it did last time. The only thing that went up was the U.S. dollars of currency and the high quality the the ten and thirty year Treasury bonds and of course cash preserve. Everything else went down. And stocks and commodities went down the most. Oil went down to negative, but let's say really, despite that little shock, down to twelve bucks from sixty something. Well, it went from in the last in the Great Recession, oil went from one hundred forty-seven to twenty-six bucks in two months. That's what happens. So imagine, you know, you got you got out before the oil bust, and then you buy oil at twenty-six. How are you not going to make money? You buy oil at you know ten or twelve bucks. How are you not going to make money in the future? So. The whole thing, seeing it coming and realizing how fast it can happen and then taking advantage when nobody else can because a business is bankrupt or a business or a consumer can't borrow money to buy real estate at a bargain or has no money to buy a great company like Apple or Microsoft or Google or Facebook when it's selling for 10 cents on the dollar. can't even buy it. You just don't have the money. So well, talk, talk to me for this because I'm... Un- unaware of this. How does oil trade negative? Well, it's because of futures contracts. Uh, futures are ways that people can hedge a commodity like like uh, oil. 
you know, if you're if you're selling oil and and you want to hedge yourself in case it goes down, you can buy futures. You can either go positive or negative to hedge either way. You put in only 10% down, you get a highly leveraged bet, and then if oil goes down when you need it to go up, and, you, and you're short oil in a futures contract, well, then you get 10 times that, and you can make up for that loss. So it's a hedging thing. What happens is a contract, like it was the May contract only, the ones that were getting ready to expire. At the end of that, somebody has to deliver the oil that was pledged against that contract and most people sell out before that and let somebody else and there's people who specialize in just being able to buy that last minute at a discount and deliver it well this this time the demand got so weak from this virus hitting so hard in the downturn and, and of course the oil war with with russia and saudi arabia to try to knock out the frackers here in the u.s that was only resolved recently so you had too much demand against uh too little demand against too much supply and oil just crashed and then those people had to deliver had to pay a premium that's how it goes negative they had to pay a premium and the same thing if you want to buy a german bond which is about the only safe bond one of the few safe bonds in europe because everybody else is so in debt you got to pay negative you got to pay a premium you don't just get one percent interest or a low interest rate you get negative interest you pay a premium just to be in a bond that won't default i'm like well for me, why don't I want to just be in cash? Well, somebody will be over there. We'd have to be in euros, and euros could get in trouble. So that's how screwed up the world is. All this money printing has stretched markets, stretched debts, stretched speculation so much that people are over-speculating. And when something goes wrong, the whole repo crisis, Jim, was very simple. Banks lend to each other. The big banks lend their excess reserves overnight to smaller banks and overnight margin calls and stuff like that well but when their reserves got low because the fed started draining by 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 going against instead they did reverse quantitative easing for a year their reserves went down and they said well we can't do this anymore and the fed had and then interest rates shot up because nobody was there to do it the fed had to step in and throw trillions i mean i mean billions and billions hundreds of billions of dollars to solve that thing out of thin air crazy that you would never have to do that in normal times. Oil would never go negative in normal times. You would never buy a twenty-year German bond, not knowing what the hell is going to happen in the future. Depression or Germany blows up, and people don't realize how fast Germany's aging. All this sort of stuff. You would never take a negative interest rate to buy a bond in normal times. These aren't normal because the central banks have perverted free market capitalism. They've taken over the markets done everything to stimulate nothing to allow the markets to function normally and the economy to rebalance so we have one big fat overweight addicted economy and markets getting ready to crash and go into detox just like a heroin addict keep taking more and more of the heroin take more and more of the crack or i call you know money money printing to make to cover over losses to make money cheaper to, to make everybody happy until it gets excessive and blows up and then everything falls apart and that's what's happening so all you got to do is get out of the way the simplest thing if you just sat on cash that's not there's better smarter things to do i can help people with if you just sat on cash and sat through the next few years you're gonna look like a damn a damn genius just doing that so before i forget i promote you mentioned the newsletter why don't you uh, tell the listeners where they can get that at before we get going again and be out of time yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we have newsletters and stuff, but we have a free newsletter so people can get to know us. You just go to harrydent.com. That's simple. Put in your your email address and you're on. You know, I, I, I put out two articles or videos a week. My partner, Rodney Johnson, puts out two. And then Mark Rodney does a great weekly digest. Here's what's happened in the markets and hear what it means. You're not getting it from the media. You're not getting it from special interests on Wall Street or stuff. You're getting it from us. We always have a clear, realistic take on what's happening. It can always give a different spin to things so people know what's really happening. Everybody else out there wants you to stay with the bubble, doesn't want you to panic, doesn't want you to pull out of stocks, don't, you know, blah, 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 don't sell your real estate, you know. You know, and, and so you got to listen to somebody objective. And so, HarryDent.com, 
Uh, take that free newsletter until you realize we know what we're talking about, and then we got very affordable paid newsletters that'll tell you a lot more. So we haven't talked about this industry yet, and this is probably the one that we need to talk about, which is the medical industry, right? Because there are boots on the ground. They're taking care of all this, but yeah. there's a big but coming, right? Their elective surgeries, their normal office visits, X, Y, and Z aren't there. Where does this, where does this leave them? Well, you know, the, the one good thing about the medical sector, and I've been saying this for years too, even in the boom, this was the case, the healthcare sector is, an, is a sector that does, is one of the few sectors that do well after people peak in home buying in their early 40s and peak in car buying in their early 50s and peak in spending overall in mid 40s and even peak in travel, overseas travel by 60. It's, it's the cruise ships and, and, and the, uh, Hospitals and healthcare and the assisted living and nursing homes and all, you know, pharmaceuticals, vitamins, skincare. That whole industry is still a bullish industry for the baby boom. And, and why is the baby boom important? Of course, the millennials are important. And of course, they're going to come and buy younger things in clothes and kids stuff and starter homes and stuff. They're not the same wave. The baby boom was a once in 250 year generation there's just huge wave that caused everything to grow they were the ultimate bubble the first bubble was the baby boom and when they entered the workforce at great expense from raising them and incorporating them that caused the inflation bubble and then when they then they caused the housing bubble and the stock bubble and 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 all these things are bursting now so so you know that's that's the thing you have to see what causes this growth, but the point is, the best sectors in our economy, e- even in this downturn, and even for many years ahead, are continuing to be things like cruise ships, if they ever come back, healthcare, especially um, you know all types of cancer and heart treatments, and and you got to also think about this virus. Since they're having to focus on this virus short term, hey, that's bad because they're not getting to other patients, but it's going to mean they're going to have a huge backlog. So as soon as they don't have to deal with this virus. Oh, my God, they're going to have people standing in line for everything else, you know, have to do with heart disease and diabetes and cancer and things that people didn't get to treat as actively or as easily. So this is very I mean, the healthcare sector is going to be one of them coming out of this smelling like a rose. And, and, and I tell people, if you're going to buy a real estate investment trust, do not buy commercial real estate. They get killed because businesses get out of leases and stop paying their rent quickly. Um, but boy, the apartment rentals hold up because people can't buy houses, and and the medical, the REITs that invent, that rent space, uh, 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 hospitals and space and facilities to the medical profession, they hold up very well. It's a recession-proof industry. You mentioned millennials. I mean, how? I mean, most of them aren't financially solvent. I guess is the way I want to put this. So, should we be, be concerned about the, the younger people right now? Well, okay, the big winners in this, now now they're going to lose too because the millennials are not in the investment stage. People don't start investing until their kids leave the nest in their mid to late 40s and in for more fluent people when they get out of college in their early to mid 50s. So that's a late stage. Millennials aren't even there. The millennials are just up to kind of like 30-somethings, you know, at this point or, you know, early 40s or something. They're going to have, the benefits to them is, investments are going to come down and allow them when they do start to invest for retirement to be able to make more money. You buy stocks at these valuations, you are not going to make money long term. Even without my forecast of a major downturn, just these valuations would say you're going to lose money in stocks in the next 10 to 15 years, even if we don't have a recession. Um, the biggest thing, a lot of these millennials can't afford housing. And, and, and banks gotten tight after the Great Recession. And they're just slowly loosening up. Well, you know, after this downturn, housing is going to drop very substantially. And, and interest rates are going to come down even lower. And that's going to make owning a home affordable now for these people. And then when they can own a home for a lot less in the next boom, they're going to have more money to spend on education for their kids and going to movies and entertainment and ball games and eating out and all this other stuff. So the biggest winners are the millennials and the zillennials to follow them because they're having, you know, to pay so 
so much for stop for having a stop. The losers are going to be the baby boomers because I'm talking about the biggest financial asset bubble crashing. And two losers, the baby boomers as a group because they're older and own most of these assets. But also, it's not just older people that own most of the financial assets. It's also disproportionately the richer people. The top 20% just of income people own about 88% of all the financial assets. So when this thing drops, the aging baby boomers are losers. The millennials are winners because the cost of living and particularly the cost of of housing is going to go down very substantially. So this is this is going to be tough because they're going to have to deal with losing jobs in the next few years. But overall, they're going to come out of these winners. And the baby boomers are going to come out losers. The baby boomers never save for retirement. They've been counting on their overinflated um, retirement plans, the little they have, and they've been counting even more on their overinflated homes. And if they don't sell their homes into this, those homes are, are going to deflate like crazy, and they're not going to have that to backstop their retirement. So the baby boomers are the big losers here. So for those people out there who are going to get this, uh, I'm using big air quotes here for you, stimulus check, um, who don't necessarily, I mean, obviously I'm going to encourage people to pay their bills first, right? But if, if everything's holding steady and they're paying their bills, where would you drop that $1,200 besides a 72-inch TV at Walmart? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't buy anything. I, I Well, some people may have to make up for a lost income. Okay, well, you do that first, but I'd be cutting costs. I wouldn't be buying anything I don't have to. I'd be saving that money. I'd be putting in high-quality bonds or a near-cash-like account. Cash is king. Cash in high-quality bonds. I mean, even in this recent crash, because the virus hits even some healthy industries like travel and hotel, hotels and cruise ships, very heavily, even AAA corporate bonds, normally they would hold up and appreciate and benefit from lower interest rates. But the default risk caused them to go down. High, the 10 and 30 year treasury bonds are the best things to buy. The medical REITs, the apartment REITs are good things to buy. Otherwise, cash like investments and just get out of all the risky stuff, out of stocks out of high-yield bonds, out of commodities, and yes, out of gold. Damn it, gold went down in 2008 when the recession got. It went up in the early stages thinking of crisis and money printing, and then when it went down, gold likes inflation, not deflation. Gold went up in the, in the early part of this crash the first few days and then went down and did not end up being a safe haven. So you just be in the safest stuff, and you get... All the risky stuff. I, Jim, uh, since the first bubble peaked when I was in Miami in a real super, one of the biggest bubbles in the country back then, I sold at the top because I was moving to Tampa because for my wife's family uh, to caretake. And and I, I was predicting the bubble was going to burst in late 2005, and it peaked in early 2006. I sold in 2005, rented ever since my primary home, done great, saved a lot of crash. Uh, I own my vacation home on an island because it's a unique lot that's going to better zoning, and it's a unique place I can't replace. So that's the only thing I own. I, I don't even own my primary home. I'm in a rented condo in San Juan, Puerto Rico, with a great deal paying a quarter what I'd pay if I'd move back on the beach in Miami and South Beach. So you just got to be smart. You get out of risky stuff. You save. If you get money, save it. Having cash will pay off five to ten times over or something liquid like a 30-year treasury bond that's going to make you a little bit of interest going to appreciate in value when interest rates keep going down and the 10-year treasury bonds went down jim in this crash 24 percent they went up in value when stocks went down 35 percent wow you're holding something safe that appreciates so put that money in places like that don't spend it unless you have to to survive and sell everything you can you know, you, you got, I, I got a bunch of glass sculptures. Some guy was coming and looking at stuff and saying, whoa, gosh, our company decorates hotels. I would sell these glass sculptures at a nice price right now and, and, and use that to rebuy even better art later or something. So, so just think that way. Whatever you can sell now, you sell your business or part of your business, you sell stocks, you sell overvalued real estate, you're going to be able to buy that stuff back with money, Later, at just unbelievable prices, and multiply the value of that money beyond any time, any money you can make in a boom. In most cases, 
You just got to see it coming. That's the trick. And I'm just telling you, I can say all I want, Jim, and people know what I'm saying. I've been saying it for years. 90, 90, I, I'm going to have a seminar with a guy this uh, in two weeks from now with his company because he didn't listen to me, and they lost a shitload of money in this crash. So now I have to tell him afterwards what to do from here on out to help make up for it. But most people aren't going to listen. So all you can do is warn people and help the people you can help. Well, that's why I'm having you here so we can get it on the record so you can point back and say, well, I told you so. <laughs> well, maybe you'll be a little bit nicer than that. Yeah, probably not. Um, I just got a direct message on Twitter that said one word. Now, it's an interesting word. We've talked, we talked about it the last time you were on, but it's Bitcoin because you, you mentioned gold dropping and, you know, the technology being the future. Is that something that you'd consider at this point? Okay. That's, that's a great question. I, I've spoken at several Bitcoin conferences. I'm in Puerto Rico, but Bitcoin, uh, crypto people are moving to Puerto Rico for lower taxes, and they're seeing it as a place where they may be able to test out some of their stuff. So so I, I, I've been involved in that industry. I have a different twist than them. I compare them to the Internet emerging in the very late 90s. The whole tech boom was happening you know, from the 80, 80s on. But the Internet only came in. Amazon only went public, I think, in mid-1998. There was a big pullback in stocks then. The Internet stocks exploded in 99 and early 2000. A little over a year. went up like five times. It was like crazy bubble. And then it burst. That's called the hype phase. When a new technology set like blockchain or crypto or Bitcoin comes out at the peak of a mature set, like internet that's in a bubble, then people just naturally bubble into that and say, oh, that's the next big thing, and they greatly overvalue it. But the very fact that cryptocurrencies have been the biggest bubble of everything and bubbled up even more than the internet did in its first hype phase says to me it is the next big thing. So I tell people in crypto, you've had your hype phase. That peaked uh, near 20,000. That is crashing. It's going to go down 95%. Now, I know uh, Bitcoin's been down 82 84% a number of times in the last few years. No. The hype phase is going to crash 90 95%. That's when you buy. The, the example back in the Internet thing, just one stock is the best example. Amazon went from $6 in late 98 up to 163 at the top of the bubble in early 2000, crashed back to 6 in 2001, two years later, and then, of course, today it's at 2300 and going up even in the downturn. You'd have made a fortune that. Now, the problem is most Internet stocks went under. So same thing with crypto. I mean, only the best are going to survive this. But if you buy the best, like, like probably Bitcoin and Ethereum and some of the whichever country shows staying power and survive and the biggest and best will tend to do that, you buy the survivors when they're down 95%, and most people are convinced it was just a big hoax and it's over, that's when you actually buy them. I do see not so much Bitcoin itself or, or but or cryptocurrencies, although that'll have its role. It's really blockchain technologies. What blockchain does, Jim, in a sentence, it digitizes all um, money and financial assets. It does to information... What, what what Google and the Internet and email did, it does to financial assets and things of value. It's, a, it's the next big thing. It's going to be just as big as the Internet or bigger, but it's not the time to buy it now. Wait for it to crash one more time into 2021 or 22 when everything else is crashing. And I tell people, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies like the late stage internet were just the last stage in the most extreme stage of the bubble the crypto community thinks when things burst when i'm right because they do believe we're going to have a big downturn in currency and all this stuff's going to fail they think that's when they're going to succeed no they're going to crash the most and then come out of the ashes the strongest that's my view of cryptocurrency so i'd be selling you know they're just getting ready to go into having thing for bitcoin in may you know i when stocks, I think, are going to recover into the summer, maybe as late as the election, that's when you get out of them. Uh, real estate, you get out now because it because it clamps up much quicker because it depends on debt to buy, and banks are going to clam up when it starts to go down later. But you but and, and you could get let cryptocurrency maybe run up with stocks into the summer or into the election, and then get the hell out of them 
and look for the buy opportunity. That could be the sink. That would probably be the best single sector in technology to buy into because even biotech and nanotech and 3D and some of these other arenas didn't bubble up as much as, as crypto did. It's got away from the go. <laughs> I was going to say, got away from the go down and then got to get out while they're up. To yeah. sum this all up nicely. Oh, um, now, see, we, we talked about oil, but I, I've got a few more oil questions as we run out of time here. Um, so oil, the oil price is way down. When do I see that translate to my gas price? Of course, I live in Pennsylvania. My gas price is never going to be cheap anyways, but it's going to be less than it is now, I assume. Yeah, you know, it doesn't go down as much as oil because there's a lot of, you know, other expenses in there. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in Puerto Rico and it was 75 cents a liter. So, you know, that's like $3 a gallon, kind of similar to the United States. It, it's fallen to 48 to 50 cents. So that's a pretty good drop. But hell, oil dropped from 60 down to 12 recently. And I, and I, I bet when I go out, because I don't go out much down here, we're quarantined for now, it's probably going to be 40 cents the next time I go out with this drop or maybe. But, you know, Gas prices are not going to go down as much as oil because oil's just raw component. You know, it, it, it still costs a certain amount for the gas station and transportation. Those things don't go down as much. But yeah, prices will go down at the pump, um, and and oil prices will bounce when we get a recovery and, and this virus kind of recedes and business starts to slowly get back to normal. But when we go into this deeper phase from later this year into late 2020, the next phase. This, this is not black swan. There's always going to be twists to it, but this is following just like that 29 to 32 and 2000 to 2002 scenario so far, and it's likely to keep doing it. We go into that big downturn. Oil, I've always said from the beginning, oil's going to end up like at 8 to $10 a barrel. It may even go down to 6 uh, And then, yeah, next boom, it'll go back up to 40 50 but we will not see oil. Even Saudi Arabia experts said years ago, after the Great Recession crash, they said you'll never see oil over 100 bucks again. And I, and I think that's true, unless briefly. Uh, oil and inflation will never be as high as they were in the past. But, but yeah, I mean, oil's great being low, but, but hey, you know, in a downturn, it doesn't make up for the rest of the losses, and it's not going to stimulate the economy enough to offset everything else going down. And I'm sitting in Puerto Rico now, and most people, nobody's driving at all. So who cares? I don't care if gas is cheap, because I haven't even filled up a tank in three weeks. and probably won't for another three weeks at the rate we're driving down here. Yeah, that's the thing. Well, that's part of it, right? Like, even though you the price is down, and I'm like, I should go here, here, and here, it's like, well, I can't, because I'll probably yeah. get shot. Where are you going to go? They only <laughs> let you go here. We, they only let us go to the grocery store, the pharmacy. They'll hardly, they're starting to let you you walk in the park. They didn't even let us walk in the park for a while and cut off the beach right away in Puerto Rico. So, yeah, where do you go in your car? The answer is nowhere. So, I, I guess the, the as we're down, we're talking about oil prices staying down for a while. What does this mean for the quote unquote green energies, the solars, the net? Um, it, it's uh, terrible. It's terrible. <laughs> um, but because they're always more expensive. But hey, they're greener, and there's a there's that favor. Um, now. The one good thing, though, is is this is going well. It's bad for America. This is going to going to throw the frackers for a bit. I mean, they're the ones that have the higher cost than the uh, vertical driven wells and and the big scale wells. Um, so there, a lot of them going to go under and default on their loans and all this sort of stuff and never come back. But one advantage of the frackers is they can come back faster than the big wells it, it, once they close down. So. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I say oil goes, you know, from 60 recently. It, it's still going to be, it's still going to be sub 10 for most of the next couple of years. Um, and then it'll come back to maybe 30, 40, 50 dollars over time. And it probably won't get much higher than that in the next global boom. It's just not going to be high inflation and everything. And the biggest problem with oil and coal and all the dirty carbon industries is their pollution cost. I mean, Another thing that's happening with this virus, which is a positive thing, I remember I was sitting looking on my uh, computer one day and saw a picture of northern the northern half of China where all the pollution, pollution is the most polluted country in the world with India close behind in northern India. They show the picture of a satellite shot just before the virus and just, you know, three or four weeks into it, 90-some percent of the pollution disappeared. 
you got cities that just in a couple of weeks pollution just disappearing um so people are gonna you know over time global warming is getting more obvious to more people i know everybody fights it because it's something you got to pay for that doesn't give any benefit and people rather not be the case and hope it's a hoax but you know it's it's the type of thing i mean oil all these oil countries are, are diversifying in other industries. They're, they're always going to find more oil. This thing about peak oil is bullshit. Always has been. They always find more oil. The frackers found it. And they drill in the Gulf and they find it. And the new countries find it. And they make it out of something else. They'll, they'll make it out of nano stuff at some point. It's the pollution cost of oil that is big disadvantage. So green technologies will have the edge they are coming down in cost finally, but you know they never had that kind of Model T or or semiconductor cost curve that just made them mass affordable in a short period of time. It, it, it's too bad, and hopefully somebody comes up with an energy alternative that does have that sort of. I mean, if, if oil, if energy costs went down, or solar, or anything like that, like semiconductor chips did. Oh, my God, it would have taken over everything by now. There wouldn't be one dirty energy left in the world 20 years ago if that had happened. But it didn't. They're coming down more slowly. So I've got to – I guess I should preference it by saying this. This is not an endorsement of said product, but it is 420, so I have to kind of – well, I guess it's 421 now, but it's still – four. anyways, what about the marijuana industry? Because I I think the more time we spend home, the more we realize we need to chill. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I mean, we, I, you know, the one time I had to go in and get something for my wife's birthday, because I, I, I let her go into the stores and stuff. I had hardly left my condo. I go, where's the biggest, the biggest line? I was going early in the morning to get something, you know, to be ahead of the, the biggest line was at the marijuana dispensary. Of course, that's something. And, and also just the legalization of it. This has been held back. Alcohol was, you know, outlawed for the whole roaring 20s. And then, you know, boom, it boomed after that, even in the Depression. And then, yo, no, this is the, the, the legalization plus this kind of people not running around as much. I, I think a lot of people will, will maybe go into work so many days a week and work more at home. Uh, you know, I'm going to be doing more and more speeches online instead of in person. I mean, forget Australia and the jet lag. When I just go to Miami and do a speech, I'm traveling for I'm, I'm traveling on average when I do a speech 10 hours for every 1 hour I speak. That's incredibly stupid and inefficient. I can do a webinar at a at a, at a fifth of the price that I charge for a speech and still be half or a third of the cost of the customer. If they'll just watch it online and if they're not a big screen and want to interact with me, put it on a big screen and let me see you and see them. I do these things for Tony Robbins, his platinum group. He brings in the top people around the world, hedge fund managers, billionaires and stuff. I'm one of the guys that goes live because I like to uh, hang with the audience and meet a lot of people. But he brings in people on big screens and people can see him bigger than life, can ask questions. It works great. Why should a billionaire travel to Sun Valley, Idaho, which takes 20 hours to get to with the layovers and stuff, to give a one-hour speech. It's crazy. So I I think a lot of people are going to do more stuff online, travel less. That's going to be less polluting, less traffic. And, yeah, people at home, yeah, more time to chill. you got more time to chill. So, of course, marijuana is going to do a little better. Alcohol is up, too, during this virus. Well, not in Pennsylvania. We we're, we just finally got curbside service yesterday. But anyways, what it sounds like I'm ripping on Pennsylvania tonight. I really, well, maybe I am. That's a whole other conversation, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for another time, Harry. Thank thank you, man. This has been uh, enlightful, enlightening, and um, I really appreciate uh, being available in short such short notice. I'm glad I didn't have to fly. Yeah, and, and you know, Jim. I mean, HarryDent.com. I mean. Well, I, I'm, I'm giving more of my free newsletter than usual because I know people need a lot of information now. And I just want to educate people as fast as man. I, I used to begin in the next 30, 45 days are going to be critical. People making decisions, changing around their business, changing their investments. You can have a limited amount of time to do this. But boy, if you do, the payoffs can be huge. Thank you again, sir. Have a good night. Okay. Thanks, Jim. Harry Dent, 
HarryDent.com. Go over and sign up for the free newsletter. Uh, tweet at Harry Dent Jr. on Twitter. Uh, say hello. Tell him you heard him here. I would appreciate that immensely because he did make time for me this evening, and I'd like everybody to head over there and let him know that he was heard tonight, and he'll be heard with the podcast as well. And if you are a haven't been over to Mallard.com in a while. I say this a lot, but I have worked on it. Up at the top, there's great things going on. It's really, I'm really putting together something so you use this site every day. So I really want you to come check it out. I've got news, uh, sports, politics. It's, man, I can't even begin to tell you, and I can't even begin to tell you because I am out of. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist Podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes! Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes! Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes... Yes! Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast.